you found the Winding Roads Podcast. My name is Isaac Redinger. Each week, my guests and I talk about cars. Our own cars, our past cars, cars we're excited about, how we were bitten by the car enthusiast bug, and more. Hop in, buckle up, and join me for another great drive. Welcome back, everyone. Happy Monday. Today, I've got Jason, one of my former managers, uh, on as a guest. Uh, we can kind of just talk about cars uh, for for ad nauseum, I guess, sometimes. And um, we kind of both are in the Audi world, uh, but come from different backgrounds. Kind of ironically, a little bit of Subaru mixed in there and some other stuff. So um, thanks for coming on, Jason. How are you today? Yeah, thank you, Isaac. Thank you for having me. And uh, so far, so good. Uh, and we are winding down this Sunday here in Arizona. Um, yeah, it's been a good day so far. I can't complain. Cool. Now, you guys recently moved to Arizona. Uh, what are your initial impressions of uh, the car culture down there from what you're seeing? Oh, so right off the bat, like the second we, we got into the town that we live in now, I realized that there are tons of Dodge Challengers and Chargers out here. Like... Yeah, the real-wheel drive game is strong out here. Everyone has a real-wheel drive vehicle. I, obviously, there's really no reason not to. I mean, we don't really get inclement weather here in the Valley. So, yeah, challengers and chargers all over the place. I mean, I guess it makes sense. I've heard that American cars, especially like the V8 ones and stuff, they just have really good air conditioning. So I'm sure that's a little bit of part of yeah, it. Yeah, when you have that V8, you know, turning that compressor, it probably blows out nice and cold, yeah. And again, with, with the, there's really no reason for all wheel drive down here. Um, so besides having tons of V8s on the road, there's also a ton of Teslas. Like the electric vehicles are strong out here, even at the dealership. I mean, for the past two months, majority of that car, of the cars that come off the truck are e-trons. Like we get more electric vehicles than we do ice vehicles. So um, the market out right. here is all electric at this point. I think one of the first times I've seen, so, you know, my wife's car, she's got the G37. Um, that was available all-wheel drive and rear-wheel drive. And the one that's kind of a unicorn here, I think I've seen one since I moved here, since we started dating like almost 10 years ago, is the G37 rear-wheel drive. And the first time I actually saw one was in Florida. We went to Tampa for a friend's wedding. Uh, and I'm like, that would be perfect because you got the G37 sedan, you've got the S, which it was an S like hers, but not all wheel drive. And so it had the upgraded brakes and it had the sport seats and all that. I'm like, that's, you know, then you see other SUVs driving around. It's like, why do you need an SUV? Yeah. You know, when you're in South Florida or, you know, in the Southwest or whatever, um, with the more capability than you're ever going to use. So that, that means that that car is basically the, uh, it's like a Nissan 370Z, but in luxury form. Yeah, it was a, it's a four-door 370Z. Okay. So, yeah, well, I mean, why, yeah. why, wouldn't, why wouldn't you want that? And I remember back in the day looking at the, uh, the Lexus IS350, and when you go to build that car up in the Northeast, you basically have to get it all-wheel drive. But there is the option of real-wheel drive, which kind of... I could imagine makes that car a lot more fun than in, in than mm. in the all-wheel drive version, but I've never got to drive one, so I really couldn't tell you. I can tell you that's true with the G37. Okay. Um, I don't know if you remember, her dad used to have a G37 coupe, um, and he still has the sedan. So my wife and his sedan are twin cars. Okay. Um, the all-wheel drive sport model, and then so when I met her, it was two all-wheel drive sedans and the rear-wheel drive coupe. And that was a manual, which Even is why better. he bought it. Yeah. <laughs> and I only drove that twice, maybe three times. 
but the steering feel is way different you know just being all-wheel drive versus front or um rear-wheel drive okay like you could tell like the weight was different it just felt a lot more um responsive responsive and it just, yeah it just had a different characteristic about it and the g37s were highly rated for their steering feel in general and then the rear wheel drive is just another step above it so i'm sure the lexus is the same yeah, i can imagine so yeah not having to power the front wheels you have more i guess that steering input is it's crisper than when you have the all-wheel drive mm -hmm. set up yeah generally speaking i don't have a lot of experience with it but i've heard it said that when you take a rear wheel drive car and make it all wheel drive you lose um it just gets muted Correct. a little bit, the steering feel. And, and that's kind of the problem. And that's, uh, I guess, that's also a very much a BMW problem because they're, they're primarily rear-wheel drive vehicles. So they kind of adapt their cars to be all-wheel drive. And if I'm not mistaken, they have to raise them up a little bit more to make more clearance for the all-wheel drive setup. Um, so, yeah, I can definitely see how that would change it, but in a negative way because it's not originally mm -hmm. designed for that setup. You have a compromise. I think her all-wheel drive system is related to the GTR's all-wheel drive. Okay. Obviously, are not as high of standards. Yeah. For yeah, like the the duty cycle is a lot more on a GTR, but the the logic and everything is very similar from what I understand. Okay. It's it's got good bones. Um, the interesting thing I found was the we were driving it home from Westchester once, and it started snowing, and the roads were getting really like greasy because like there was traffic but it was a light snow okay between a flurry and a snow and so it was getting a glaze on it and we were heading out of westchester going downhill crawling because everyone was stopped um because it was really slick and the the rear at, i'm doing three miles an hour and braking the rear is stepping out <laughs> i'm like what is going on here so i I let off the brakes and it straightened out okay. and then I, I, I braked again and like it just starts stepping out again. I'm like, what is going on? So I put it into neutral then with my foot on the brakes and started, I just kept coasting with it Okay. and it straightened itself out. So what I'm thinking is, plus it always goes through rear brakes. The all wheel drive is obviously rear wheel drive biased. Correct. I know it is. And apparently there's a, a decent delay between when it actually kicks in to all-wheel drive okay for me being like the, on the technical side it was interesting to see how that system worked like that like i think the average driver would probably be confused and and you know a little a little worried and you know uncomfortable absolutely um but it was just and i've only experienced it that one time but it was just the perfect conditions for me to see this trait that i had never heard of before or seen yeah because anytime, if you're not expecting, even, you know, a driver like yourself, if you're not expecting your that rear to kick out on you, that's when you can get into a pretty, you know, pretty bad accident. Um, not right. many people are able to get a car back into control when their rear cuts out on them. And that's actually, I think we, in the past, we've actually had a conversation on when you rotate your tires, should you have the better tires in the rear or the better tires in the front? And there's whole, this whole world of thinking that keeping the better tires in the back allows for more grip there and you have a less mm -hmm. of a chance of losing your rear. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't, I, depending on how you think about it, 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 I don't know if it matters so much, but um, it's definitely something to think about though if you're not expecting like that to get in that situation. Yeah, I've actually seen a, a training video from Ford for that very specific thing. Um, they had a Taurus and they put essentially bald tires on the front mm -hmm. and new tires on the back and then vice versa. And they were doing like a, a sweeper. Okay. 
and it was like 50 miles an hour and you could see the rear step out but the tires were very low on tread and it was like high speed and i think it was kind of skewed for maybe what they were trying to portray obviously they have data to back it up mm. but i've always been of the of the mindset that i'd i'd rather have better traction where my tires can steer and brake exactly that's how we feel yeah and that's why we've always had even on audis we've always put the better tires up front because most people i mean they're not going to drive the cars recklessly all the time and i'm not saying that they do but in in winter conditions i don't know it just it's a it's a better thing to have your your tires up front that are doing the driving and the steering yeah i think most people if they get into a situation where it's going to be a problem they're probably driving slower anyway exactly we hope so <laughs> being more cautious yeah, yeah. No, I think usually the, the fight that we normally fight is just to get good tires on the car. You know, you have a client come in and they're four thirty seconds all around and you're just trying to get them to buy a set of good tires, let alone trying to rotate them and put better tires up front versus the rear. So, yeah, just having a good set of tires all around is the most important thing. One thing I wish I could portray to everyone or like have them experience is the difference between dedicated winter tires oh and and a worn set of all seasons or even all seasons yes. like just you cannot describe to someone how well like how much more confidence you have in knowing your car is going to stop better yes. or just coast around the curve without it slipping for you until you experience it for yourself correct and and for me when we like when we bought the mini uh the mini came with a set of uh I don't even remember anymore. I, I don't know if they were all season, but they were um, they were run flat tires, and I hated them. I got rid of them, and I went to a summer and winter set. And everyone would be like, "Oh, how does the mini drive during the the winter months? You know, it really can't. You probably can't go through the snow." I wouldn't trade that car for any SUV because the mini with a good set of winter tires gets through everything. Don't get me wrong; you're going to have your limitations. If you have three feet of snow, you're not going to go anywhere. Yeah, that's not going to yeah. that you can't do anything. But a good set of winter tires in the winter is definitely the way to go. And it's funny because when we came out here with selling the house and you know, all the things I was doing, I forgot to change out the winter tires for the summers. So for the first month down here, I was driving around with winter tires. And it, was, it probably was a dangerous experience because they were loud. They hated the extreme temperature. And they were just wobbly. Like on the highway, you can feel the car just kind of like it wasn't stable. Like you just wanted to move around because there was so much play in the tires. But uh, to your point, yeah, tires are, that, that's really, you know, where the rubber meets the road. It it's, makes mm -hmm. a huge difference. Ever since the first time I drove on summer tires, I, I couldn't believe the difference. Cause again, that was with her, her dad's G37 coupe. And one of the times I was driving it, it was like a light rain. And I just took a curve and I didn't brake for it, but I also didn't really slow down. Um, I just kind of coasted through it and it had more traction than I expected it to on the summer tires. Yeah. Cause I was, I came into it thinking, okay, these are going to be like race slicks <laughs> in the rain. And they totally are not like, unless you get, you know, like a, a track ready tire. Correct. Um, most, most reputable summer tires are going to be good in the rain um even better than an all-season tire absolutely and it's just until you see those two extremes which are very hard to duplicate and just take someone on a test drive to show them you know that's why people think all seasons are are so plus it is easier i mean it's 
really a convenience factor, not having to swap tires and things like that yeah. in a climate like we have where you've got the shoulder seasons and then you've got a few days during the winter that can be a little dicey where you are. You know, I can't imagine there's any reason to sell all season tires. So we stick to what, you know, what Audi recommends. So if it comes to all season, we sure. put all season tires on. If I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure they make three season tires, right? There is a, like Michelin has a three season tire, maybe Continental. I haven't heard of that. No? I, I thought there was um, like a three season where it doesn't go into the winter. It's more like your, your spring, summer, and fall type of tire. I mean, there might be. I haven't really heard of it, though. I think for here, um, because of where we are and just because of the, you know, the area, a lot of people... They do a lot of driving to other areas, you know, whether it be Nevada or Utah, go to Colorado if you wanted to. But down where we are, you know, outside of Phoenix in the valley, it's going to be warm pretty much all year long. So I'm not worried about having all season tires or winter tires. But once you start driving up towards like Sedona and like towards Flagstaff, Flagstaff is at a higher elevation than, um, than Denver is. And they have mountains and they have ski resorts up there. So you can go from, you know, Phoenix, which is going to be warm and you can use a summer tire most likely all year long. I mean, I haven't experienced it, you know, firsthand yet. But if you drive two, three hours north, you're going to go into your winter climate. So I guess people just for the, you know, the sake of it, they'll just put on an all season tire and just rock it all year long. Either that or by the halfway point, you're going to have to put on winter tires. I guess you probably have some clients that have like a, a winter home, like up in that area too. Yeah. People that travel so. up north, uh, they call it North country to get away from like the extreme heat of being down here in the valley. Cause up in, up in Flagstaff, I don't think it gets nearly as hot. Usually it's like a 10, 15, sometimes 20 degrees difference between here and maybe Sedona. But once you go up to Flagstaff, that elevation kicks in and you know, they can be down you know, 50 degrees during the morning time. So it definitely is a fairly big difference in temperature between here and there. So we keep alluding to it. I am remembering that I didn't actually say how we met. So Jason used to be my service manager uh, when I moved to Audi and he's been with Audi for what, uh, 10 years? Uh, 10 years uh, last month. Yeah, 10 years. I was a guest, but apparently a good yeah, one. Yeah, spot on. <laughs> you were listening. <laughs> and before that, you were with Subaru or you just owned Subarus? I've, so I've owned them, yeah. I, I've owned okay. my own Subaru. My cousin owned a Subaru. My grandparents, they still own a Subaru. Um, and the funny thing is they've all been legacies. <laughs> okay. Um, my buddy, a uh, buddy of mine, Alan Beam, uh, who still, he lives in uh, Pennsylvania, right over in Sellersville. Um, he, to this day, still has a 2006 um, Subaru Legacy GT wagon. We call it the white okay. wagon of death. At this point, it's probably on like its fifth or sixth turbo. And ever since I met him back, you know, when I first had started attending UTI, he would beat the crap out of that car. Um, but it's still, go, it's still running to this day, as far as I know. And um, we both own Legacies, you know, obviously big Subaru guys. I used to go to Subaru meets back when I lived in Connecticut up in New England. Obviously a very strong cult following up there. Um, there was this one time we went to a Subaru meet in... I want to say it was either in Massachusetts or maybe even New Hampshire. And we were all going up to the top of this mountain mountain. Cause at the top there was a, a ski resort, but during the springtime they like allow for like auto shows and stuff like that. And the entire time going up this, this mountain pass, all you heard were WRXs and STI. All you heard was boxer rumble the entire time. And it was just uh, this perfect symphony of four cylinder super engines. It was perfect. 
Sounds like I would have hated it. <laughs> you absolutely would have hated it, yes. For you, it would have been just, you know, nails on the chalkboard. Um, but, yeah, Subarus uh, enjoyed the, the legacy I owned. Um, wish I never got rid of it, but um, it is what it is. And, obviously, uh, mm -hmm. became a Volkswagen guy and an Audi guy. But, um, for me, I think that uh, my family has always had, like, a, an interesting assortment of cars. My grandparents owned uh, an air-cooled Volkswagen Beetle. If I'm not mistaken, I want to say it was a 72 Beetle. Um, they owned a Chevy Corvair back in the day, which is, mm. is wild because that's another real-wheel drive, four-cylinder engine. Um, my grandpa had a Jeep Comanche back in the day, too. Um, don't remember too, too. The pickup. Yeah, the pickup, the little pickup. Um, poor thing, just rusted, you know, rusted out. Uh, originally was owned by an owner in Long Island, so being out there on the island definitely got eaten up by the, the, the salt. Um, so they've always owned interesting vehicles. Um, my stepdad, when I was growing up, one of my earlier memories was uh, we had this Chevy small block 350 in the garage. And I, being a young guy, I never, you know, I was like, oh my God, that's probably the craziest engine in the world. It's, it looks like something straight out of NASCAR. Um, one of his buddies and him went to a junkyard. They sourced it from a van, probably, I guess, like on a cotton line van or something like that. Um, 350s are obviously all over the place. Um, they ended up uh, spray painting it. I believe Chevy labels it as corporate blue, kind of what their old school V8 all had that blue color to it. Um, and they built that thing. And I never got to actually hear it run, but I heard it was put into either a Pontiac Grand Prix or Grand Am or something like that. And it ended up being too much power for what the vehicle was able to handle and ended up getting totaled, unfortunately. But mm. as a young kid, that's kind of where, you know, my car influence came from, you know, engines being built in the garage and all the cool cars my grandparents would own. That kind of brings me to a question I'd like to ask everyone is what is your earliest car memory? Would that be it for you? No, no. Earliest car memory and one of my, you know, dream cars and bucket list cars is absolutely the Ferrari Testarossa. I don't know where I would have picked that up from, but my mom told me, you know, one of my first words besides pizza was Testarossa. And I could imagine huh. what kind of TV show I was watching back in the day. Um, I forget exactly what show had the, uh, the white Testarossa on down in, uh, was it Miami Vice or something like that? Um, right. But that for me, that's my, like, the Ferrari Testarossa was the... The, the picture on the wall, you know, poster on the wall car. That was it. That was like the car for me. And that's what I wanted in, uh, when I grew up. Um, now I'm, I know better to own one of those. <laughs> um, besides that memory, um, it would be actually my grandparents had that Volkswagen Beetle. And I remember sitting on my grandfather's lap, shifting through the gears and having him going up and down the driveway. So those would be my two earliest memories of, uh, of, of cars. Do you think that kind of seed is maybe what got you towards the Volkswagen Audi scene or do you just kind of migrate there with work? Definitely is what kind of pointed, pointed me in that direction. Um, yeah, at Volkswagen, I don't exactly, besides, you know, owning the Volkswagen Beetle, I, I don't remember any other Volkswagens that we had. It kind of just was a, you know, it was a great, a great car brand. I've always been interested in Volkswagen because of their, their quirkiness. Um, like, you know, cars like the Corrado, they you know that always intrigued me in the Scirocco. Um, that's why I ended up, uh, you know, going that direction. And then, uh, Heather, who was, you know, at by that time was my girlfriend. Um, my wife now, of course, she ended up working for a Volkswagen dealership in Danbury, Connecticut, and she ended up buying uh 2005 and a half Volkswagen Jetta five speed. I think it okay. was 
yeah, it might, I think it was a five speed. And that's kind of what put me in that direction of then going to UTI, going to the Volkswagen Academy and, you know, graduating from that and becoming a technician back when I was younger. So that had that 2.5 in it, I assume. Uh, no, that one was actually a two liter. That was still okay. a two liter. I, oh yeah, the five and a half would have been that like the very last end of the the Mark IV. Yeah, it was a weird year. It was a five and a half, and I remember it because when she originally told me what it was, I was like, "What's the half for?" Like I never heard of a half, um, but it did have some unique features. It had more chrome trim to it. Um, it was a really nice. Uh, I think it was, I want to say Carrera white or it started with a C, something white. Um, but it ended up being a, a nice car. It was gorgeous. It handled really well. Um, she ended up trading that in on a 2007 Jetta, which that had the 2.5 liter engine in it. Okay. Yeah. What were your thoughts of that? I've, I've only driven it once personally, um, while I had it as a loner, but I've never really lived with it. What was your experience with the two, the five cylinder? I remember it having a decent amount of power down low. Like it, it had like the torque in the beginning and then would just kind of die out. Um, and I guess that kind of makes sense because they were supposed to be turbocharged. So it was supposed to have forced injection and kind of keep that thing going. Um, okay. so it had plenty of power to get you around town, get you on the highway. But if you wanted anything more than that, like you weren't going to win a race on the highway. That just thing, it just stopped pulling. It didn't have enough power up on top. They tried to tout it as like, you know, the power of a V6 and a four, um, <laughs> fuel economy of a four cylinder, yeah. but it was neither one of those. Like it had the fuel, the fuel economy of a six cylinder and the power of a four cylinder correct i remember not never being really impressed by it it was always it sounded good because of course it sounds you know similar to a, a, a ttrs or an rs3 um it had a good sound to it it had decent power but at that point i would have had the i would have taken a 1.8 t any day of the week over yeah. that unfortunately unless yeah. you threw a turbo on the 2.5 what are your thoughts of the new WRX? I just happened to see one today on my way home from getting groceries. And I actually thought it was a Civic as I was coming up to it. And then as I got closer, I realized it was the current um, newest generation WRX. And besides looking a lot like a Civic, they also have added the black flares around the fenders um, to be like more rally inspired. Correct, yeah. Have you seen any of those in person yet? I, that was the first one I think I've seen in person. I saw a couple in, in person. Um, I'm kind of on the fence about it. I, I like the, the, the fender flares. I like the fact that they're like a different color from the body and it gives it more of that rally inspired look. Um, I don't think I was a big fan of the Subaru, like the design after 2000 and, oh man, what was it? 2000 and maybe eight or nine when they kind of went more towards this bubbly look um i haven't really been a fan of it since then i think the new one looks good um but i, I care more about the performance and i haven't actually been able to drive one but supposedly they're a fantastic all-around you know daily driver do you think the sti is going to go hybrid when they finally bring it out because i've i've heard rumors that it's dead they're not bringing it back but i am of, of the inclination that they're going to bring it back but it's going to be hybrid I, I don't want to say I'd, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they want that route, but so far Subaru, they haven't really done much in terms of hybrid vehicles. They really haven't like stepped into the EV game. So for them to go and make their 
kind of like their halo car. You know, the STI is their their performance car. It's what people, you know, show up to see at the dealership. I don't know if they could put in a, in a hybrid power mill in there and really make something special of it. Um, if anything, I see them using the a different version of what the 2.4 turbo, like the newer, the modern engine, probably a, a bigger version of that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think they're going to kill it off. I think it's going to be different, whatever they do. Um, they definitely need to do something different. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Even the 2.5, it's it's a it's a fantastic engine. Um, it's definitely stood the test of time. Um, if you think about how much horsepower you're looking to get out of a car, I think at most it was 305 horsepower. I think 305. I know it throughout the years it kind of went up and down, like dipped down to like right. 290 something. But even still, being at 300 horsepower, I mean, that's a, a lot of horsepower for you know your everyday driver i mean most people drive mm -hmm. them every day so that's not it's not a slouch that's for sure yeah i agree i and when when people talk big power numbers i kind of question how much it's really needed i mean as cars get heavier more power is needed to make them feel as lively yeah but my car i mean while it is relatively light in the scheme of the automotive industry right now it's right up just above three thousand pounds it only has 295 horsepower. It feels really quick. <laughs> I mean, part of that is the lightweight, yeah. but like it's a good power number. Like I'm not gonna have to worry about driving into a crowd if I want to do. Not that I do a burnout, but like if I tried to do a burnout, I'm not gonna pull a Mustang. I was gonna say yes. Stereotype, <laughs> you know. But it's it's a good amount of power where I can have fun with it. But it's not. I don't know. It's it will accelerate quickly, but it's not like insane no but it's it's a good like you said it's a, a good power to weight ratio like it has balance yeah. and obviously being a porsche balance is one of the the key things that they do um and to go back to the to the sti in terms of balance i think that most people when they buy an sti they're kind of surprised at how much they have to to if, if, if my memory is correct i think you have to work that engine more like you have to rev that up a lot more than you do a wrx before you get to that peak power I think the WRX is more of the, if you're looking for something fun to drive every day, that's the easier car to drive, while the STI is more the car you have to work to get that power out of because of the the power range or the power band. Uh, you might be right. I'm not super familiar with that. You might be right. And I could see that too, uh, because you know the, the WRX is kind of like the every, every man's car. Yeah. Whereas the STI is the enthusiast car. While WRX is still an enthusiast car, it's, it's like kind of lukewarm compared to the hair on fire like you get in the in the sti correct yes yeah and then with the hair on fire you you better be able to to control the vehicle when you when you're pushing it to those limits because it will let you get there they will they get pretty pretty aggressive they can be pretty mm -hmm. aggressive so yeah but with your vehicle uh, again you have that weight balance so it's easier to to handle it all i guess yeah and it doesn't really surprise me ever like if i'm maneuvering in a certain way like i know exactly what it's going to do um i guess it kind of comes with any car the longer you own it and everything um, but it's it's always very well balanced as opposed to like if i go into a corner too hot i'm not going to understeer and be worried about going off the side of the road correct you know and i'm also not going to have snap oversteer because the balance isn't great correct. it's it's always very neutral yeah and i have to do something really stupid to make it understeer or oversteer. 
and it's one of those it's for a Porsche it's like the 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 exact opposite of the the 911 you know back in the 90s right. being called the widowmaker because you were right you, you would get on the power and people would back off because they're putting themselves into a, a situation they can't handle and then it would snap and they would lose control um yeah. so and then again we have the mini and the mini by no means has a lot of power. I think it has 180, you know, out of the box. So by now with over 100,000 miles, I can imagine it's, it's a lot less than that, but it has good balance. You throw a good set of summer tires on it and you take it through a Canyon road. And I guarantee you, you're going to have a good time. It's going to put a smile on your face and it's not trying to kill you. It's always asking yeah. for more. Let's do more. Let's go faster, but it's not trying to kill you with 500 plus horsepower. I think at some point, you know, power isn't everything apparently we got a tesla plaid in the other day okay <laughs> and uh the salesman the used car manager comes over he's like hey did you see that plaid we got i'm like meh okay i'm like he's like it's the fastest car right now i'm like okay so that's fun for what three seconds yeah like it just didn't do anything for me and um he just kind of like walked off shaking his head like what's wrong with you <laughs> and like i can respect it for being quick it's like that's its only party trick. Correct. Other than that, it's just a really expensive electric car that is, I wouldn't say luxurious because they have very sparse interiors. For that kind of money, I would buy any other electric car, let alone any other car. Yeah. You know, like it's just not for me. Like the the big power numbers and the bragging rights, I kind of got over that a long time ago, and I found that I prefer something different. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, that that type of balance and. Also, I, I don't know if you... Although I do kind of want to drive it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I definitely want to know how it feels to go that fast. Um, and, you know, kudos to Tesla for, for doing it. And obviously, uh, it is a fast car. But I think one of the things that Audi, you know, touted around and so did Porsche was the fact that I only think you can go probably two or three times doing those hard pulls before it starts to back off on the power. So... It's almost like you have to know the situations you're about to get yourself into. Like, how many cars am I going to race and have to beat them before I'm going to slowly start to lose? Um, versus right. the, the Taycan and the GT, where they will consistently put up those numbers every time. You will always get the zero to 60 times that are going to match perfectly. I mean, even with electric cars in general, like, you do have, you bring up the, the longevity of what you're getting out of it, like the performance. Yeah. With any electric car, you kind of have a a limited amount of time that you can use all of it i've read some articles when they were testing some teslas on a track and after a lap or two you know the battery is getting overheated yep. um the obviously you depleted the battery a lot but the the heat cycling of the battery it just it starts to cut power to go into self-preservation mode it has to because it just can't get rid of that heat as quickly as you need it to for that kind of usage yeah it's like on a racetrack usually brakes are the thing that give up first if you don't have the right equipment there um and so you start overheating the brakes and you get pedal fade and stuff like it's kind of like the reverse with an electric car like they're just that's not what they're designed for even though we want those same things out of a car yeah yeah i guess was a thermal management it's always it's always about yeah. heat you know how you can dissipate it as quick as possible um and obviously tesla is able to put the power out, but they're not able to maintain it because of that that heat, you know, how much those batteries warm up to. And eventually, if I'm not mistaken with batteries, if you if you overheat them, you'll start to deteriorate cells and, you know, 
obviously you have some long-term damage. You're no longer going to get the mileage out of it or the power out of it. And of course, this is an extreme scenario whether they're on the racetrack. As far as acceleration, I've heard that after two or three pulls, you actually make yourself nauseous as a driver <laughs> because of the because of the G's because we're not used to that kind of G-force. Correct, yeah. And I wonder, I, I haven't seen, you know, anybody put up the numbers in terms of how much G-force it, uh, you you get put on, like how many G-force are applied to the body during the, you know, two or three pulls that you're able to do on it. Um, is it comparable to like a top fuel dragster? Like how much, how much power are we talking about here? I think the Tesla Plaid is what, right around a thousand horsepower or something like that. That sounds about um, right, yeah. So, and I think, I don't know if it's just for like some influencer photos that they put up or whatever but i think it comes with like the race car style like u-shaped steering wheel where it's not a complete circle yes and and it looks cool and i would i would love to drive one and see exactly how that you know would work in daily driving um but i don't know i i, I would think i would need that top portion still yeah I, a lot of people drive just by using the 12 o'clock position so yeah, exactly what are they do now? yeah so it's just <laughs> gone they took away that option I, I don't know how i feel about that um of course if it's self-driving maybe you don't need it and I don't know if, or have they stopped with, they're still doing the self-driving or the uh, autonomous modes, but they've kind of backed away from that a little bit, right? And I've heard that they've increasingly over time made the software more and more expensive okay. to get into. Okay. So I think I heard recently that an owner that started purchasing the the software since day one for you know the autonomy, it was like a five or $6,000 software. In the length he's owned the car, he's now spent thirty thousand dollars to have autonomy. Like, yeah. And and for what? Like, what does it get you? I mean, this is a this is a Tesla fanatic, and he, from what I understand, he like, it's kind of like an influencer or a, a media face to say this is everything I go through with my Tesla. Yeah. And so he's got his reasons because he's he wants to test the things, but like for the average user, like. Do you really want to spend ten or twelve thousand dollars to have the software to use autonomous driving when it's still not a hundred percent autonomous like you think it is? No, no, and it's it's a lot of money to spend on software, and unfortunately, a lot of the manufacturers are going in that direction. Uh, I mean, even Audi, you know, they they have now where you subscribe to get certain features, you know, added to your vehicle. Uh, I think in Europe they have the Matrix headlights, and you can get different designs that pop up, and like. At this point, they're starting to just get more money out of the consumer who already probably spent sixty, seventy thousand dollars on a Tesla. Now we spend an X amount more to get the autonomous driving that isn't really fully autonomous. I, I just, mm -hmm. it's. I'd rather know those costs up front. Let me know how much this car yeah. is going to be with everything. And I think there's a fine line because I think they're what they're trying to do is they're seeing that model that Apple has used in their business to once you're in the ecosystem, you know, then you you keep purchasing and adding on those services mm. like you know they do their iCloud storage and they do they have the arcades for games and they have you know their their fitness and things like that yeah. and you just keep adding on these subscriptions and they make more money that way than they do actually selling you the phone to begin correct with. yeah and I think car companies are trying to figure out how to do that for themselves because it's very lucrative Absolutely. And, and hey, I mean, it's kind of the natural progression. It kind of makes sense. I mean, like you said, we're, I have uh, 99 cents taken out of my account every month because I have 50 gigabytes of storage through the iCloud. So 
it doesn't seem like a lot of money up front, but how many years am I going to go on spending a, you know, almost a dollar with them for storage that probably doesn't cost them anything. And the car right. manufacturers are thinking about how to do the same thing, you know, whether it be you signing up for navigation or probably one day, you know, you can do remote keyless entry and they'll probably charge you for that too. Um, but unfortunately that's kind of the way of the future, isn't it? I think what's different about cars is they have to, to offer that as a subscription, they have to build it in the car to begin with. Yes, so it's there already. Yeah, whereas with phone uh, subscriptions, like for example, um, Apple Music, you can download the app, but it doesn't do anything, you know, unless you, I mean, it does some things, but like for conversation's sake, the app is just an image in your phone until you subscribe to it. Correct. Whereas it's not like you have this, this button on your dashboard until you subscribe to something and then it works all of a sudden yeah. like the buttons there and it's functioning you can push it although i did see a review of a car recently where you could actually see the icon in the dashboard for like heated seats or something and it was like there taunting you that you didn't, that you didn't buy it and it was this, <laughs> wasn't a subscription thing but you just didn't option for it yes. and they didn't have a delete like sometimes i'll do a delete where it's like this false panel it wasn't it was actually the button was there and you could push it. It just didn't do anything. It just taunts you daily to, and oh my God, that would drive me crazy knowing that I could have it, but it's, it's unfortunately not there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to your point, I mean, these cars were made with all the hardware already built in and now you're just buying software. And chances are the software is probably there and it's just kind of like a switch they turn on remotely. Like, okay, you paid for it, now you can use it. That's probably pretty accurate. Love the show and want to help it grow? Now you can. Head over to patreon.com slash winding roads podcast. You'll find posts with show updates as well as be able to select your support tier. With three tiers to choose from, you can simply support the show, get a shout out, or even make a special request and join me for a drive in our own cars. I appreciate your support. It truly means a lot and will go a long way to helping deliver a better show for you. Switching gears, I tend to see a lot of interesting cars on my commute randomly. I might have mentioned them to you before. Do you remember a couple months ago before you left, I said I had seen the Suzuki Cappuccino parked outside of Westchester You did, somewhere. yeah. We chatted about that, yeah. Today I saw a Honda Beat. Oh my god, no. Yeah, it was red too. Honda Beat, okay. Yeah, it was coming towards me and I actually thought it was a Suzuki Cappuccino. Okay. Because it was a similar size and the headlights are very similar. But as it was going by, I saw the side vents on the on the body. And I'm like, oh, that's a beat. And I just didn't expect to see that. Okay, so you've seen a beat, a cappuccino. I recently saw, uh, I saw a Renault here. Okay. Yeah, that's what I saw here, a Renault. Don't know how somebody would have gotten that. Um, and before I left, I actually saw a couple of the, the mini the mini pickups. Was it the K pickups? Okay. Uh, yeah. The Hondas. So I guess that we're getting to that point now where the um, the years, was it 20 or 25 year limitation to mm -hmm. import these vehicles is expiring and they must all be coming through from Canada or something because it seems like we're seeing <laughs> a lot more of these cars we would have never have seen before. There's definitely some importers that, that specialize in the, the Japanese imports. Um, but yeah, I think I've seen that. It's probably the same truck or there's a couple of them around, but um, I've seen that the K pickup in my area a few times yeah. i've seen it in the malvern area um and you've seen it down where you used to live so which makes sense because in that area chester county is a lot of farms 
And sometimes you don't need a big F-150 or F-250. You just need a little something to get you going and get you around to pick up stuff. So, yeah, that makes total sense why you would have one of them. I don't think it would be used for that. No? But, um, Bale of hay. So... <laughs> The one you saw, did you see it from the front or the back? Uh, so I was actually coming off the exit, and I saw it from the front, and it drove past me. So then I, I got to okay. see the full thing. You didn't happen to see if there was a decal on the back glass, did you? No, I don't remember that much about okay. it now. That would have been the telltale. Because the, the one that was near me that I saw had the sticker on the back, uh, like Jordan has on his, on his cooler. Okay. And it says, um, no airbags, we die like real men or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, and if in that car, it's it's a hundred percent true. Yeah. There's no safety, anything probably, and I think you sit right on top of the engine too. Yeah, it's literally like a cab over style, and the length of the car in general is as big as some people's desks in their office. Yeah, and then you have you know like this. I think it's a it's either a twin or a three cylinder, six hundred cc engine right underneath you, and you're sitting it in it like a bus driver. Yep. It's a very odd car. I think it'd be cool. Though. I remember someone asking me about like, oh, they can't be that fast. They look so small. I'm like, why would you want to go fast in that thing? Because probably <laughs> you'd go deaf. You'd probably cook the cab. And it's so, the way it's designed, it's obviously very tall. Like, I feel like it doesn't take corners very well. So you wouldn't want to travel no. fast in that thing. No, you definitely, I think at 40 miles an hour, you probably feel like you're doing 80. <laughs> They're designed to be a city car. Like, they're not designed to go fast whatsoever. Exactly. No, you're asking a lot of that, that little three-cylinder engine. Um, but I, I think if, if, I, if I was given the choice to import something over, um, and I think it, it already was here at one point, would it be the Suzuki, the Suzuki Jimny, the little SUV. Mm. I've seen one of those recently, too. Did you? See, I think those are yeah. so cool. It must be just, like, a turn of the last couple of years because I think... A, 90% sure it was a Jimny that I saw recently okay. because yeah it was it was right hand drive and it was Suzuki SUV almost like a, the old Sidekicks but a little bit smaller Exactly. I think yeah. they were one and the same the Samurai and the Sidekick I think they were all kind of Samurai that's what I was thinking yeah. of. the Sidekick was smaller was bigger than the Samurai Correct yeah they were all based yeah. on the Suzuki and I think um that was a GM I think GM had some influence on them as well. So as far as I know, Chevy used their Geo line for a bunch of Suzuki's. Okay, there you go. And the Geo Tracker was a sidekick. Okay. So, I mean, yeah. they, they kind of intertwine and you have the influences there. And unfortunately, Suzuki didn't last long here. But I would have, I think that at this point, I probably would buy a Jimny just to, you know, as a, an easy vehicle to go back and forth with. I mean, you have the cargo capacity. It can go off-road. I mean, it kind of does a little bit of everything. I think they're pretty cool. And that's because if the, I guess the American equivalent to that might be the Ford Bronco or the Jeep Wrangler. But the, the cost that you pay for some of these vehicles now is just ridiculous. Just to get a Ford Bronco, you're going to probably have to pay a, a huge dealer markup. So I love the Bronco and I really want one even though I don't need one, like I don't actually want one, but there's a small part of me. There's a, there's a small part of my, my DNA that says, I really want to have a Bronco. Now, do you want it with the manual? Oh yeah. Yeah. Same here. So I, I would spec it either the base or it's a second or third trim where it's got the steel wheels. Yes. And the manual, 
It would have the four-cylinder, which is the only way you can get the manual, but I don't really care. That's fine. It still has, um, I think it's 300-some horsepower. It's the same thing that's in the uh, Focus RS and the EcoBoost Mustang. So you know yeah. you have enough power to get going. Yeah, definitely. But I like that it's got the base model you can get with 16-inch steel wheels, and they're black, which I'm not a fan of. Or no, they're silver. This next step up, you can get a 17-inch steel wheel and they're black but yeah i would totally spec it it would be the two-door it would be blue it'd be the four-cylinder with a manual and the base wheels and but i have no need for that and i don't actually want it but <laughs> a small part of me really does um but to your point for how much you're paying or even with a wrangler you're buying a 20 year old car still yes yes you like, are like while they have some new features and, and conveniences livability wise they are still like 25 30 years behind yeah yeah you're right i mean i've i've driven a couple of wranglers in uh in the past uh and actually when we first got here we rented uh, the rubicon which i thought was awesome it was the um the pickup version the jeep wrangler pickup rubicon edition um now that thing doesn't have any that's a big truck it is a big truck yeah i was actually surprised i thought it would be smaller than it was um the 3.6, it does its job. It doesn't have much power at all. But on the highway, you're not going fast in that thing because of the solid front axle. There's so much just, it just wanders on the road. Like you spend most of your time just trying to keep it in the straight line. Um, and that's, of course, if you're going through like windy conditions. But it was just such a fun truck to drive. Like it had what I would call soul. Like getting into it, you mm. felt like it was different. It wasn't like hopping into your traditional, you know, Toyota Tacoma. Uh, I had big tires. It just, you know, you can just drive over anything in that thing. And cars like that are always just fun because it just gives you that, that feeling. I think people want them because of the novelty where it is like a fun and it's got character exactly. and things like that. But I wonder how many people tolerate that as their commuter. Exactly. Because yeah. they want that, that lifestyle. <laughs> but what they actually want is probably a Grand Cherokee. Yes. Yeah. Because to your point, I wanted to not, I got the Rubicon pickup because I wanted to drive that. And then we did a couple of trips going back and forth and just the, the whirring noise from the tire started to bother me. And the fact that the cabin didn't get so cold because there's no insulation on the top and in the Arizona sun, it gets really hot. So there are things, uh, like, I don't know, creature comforts that you start missing that you would get in like the grand, um, the grand Cherokee. Yes. And I guess the same thing would go with the Ford Bronco. I mean, they're very much yeah. almost like one in the same. Um, I don't know. I, I've got to drive one. I want to drive one so bad. I haven't been able to get behind the wheel of one. We haven't actually even seen one traded in. It seems like people are either keeping them or shipping them somewhere else. I, I haven't seen one come through as a trade-in, and I'm kind of surprised. Speaking of trades, we've gotten a lot of... I don't know if it's our used car manager is purposely trying to get some like Halo vehicles um, to kind of just get some attention to draw people in yes. or if they're just getting traded but we've gotten recently a shelby gt500 wow there was a camaro zl1 yep, I remember that one. um we had we had a c8 corvette in blue and a c3 corvette i would be interested in the c3 at the, at the same time <laughs> at the same time like the, the the c they were both blue the c c3 was a convertible had a white top okay. apparently the transmission was not in great shape um but like it was just random things we've been getting that you wouldn't expect to see at our store. Okay. And I don't know if, if it's for a reason or somebody randomly just traded it because they had it for a month and they wanted to get rid of it and take advantage of the market. I don't know. I, I guess my question would be, what did they trade that car in on? 
think they bought an RS5. Okay, all right. It's it's crazy because that's a huge step up <laughs> <laughs> in terms of like a car, like drivability, deliverability. Um, the RS5 is just, it has such a good amount of power and it's, it, I don't know. It's one of those perfect all-around cars in my opinion. But to that point, I don't, I don't know if I would need that over an S5 because like, I mean, a lot of the stuff is the same when you go from the S to the RS. Yeah. You get some more power. The engine is different. I don't know for me if it would be as big of a jump as as it is going from like a Mustang GT to a Shelby. Okay. I mean, I guess with that car, it's mostly you're buying the engine. So maybe that's a bad example. Um, yeah, with the GT. GT to Shelby is just in my I know I know there's more to it. And people will probably say that, you know. It's, there's a lot more to it, but it's about the horsepower output, right? Like mm -hmm. what power you're getting for your money. Um, I remember yeah. someone traded a Shelby GT uh, in back in Wynwood, and I remember it was unfortunately the winter months, but putting that thing in the first gear and you know trying to manage the clutch, it just constantly wanted to spin its tires. Like that thing is just a power monster. So if you think about, again, livability, do you want to live with that every day? Or would you rather have, I mean, even an S5, I mean, that's 330 horsepower, 335 horsepower, and it gets up and goes pretty well. And it's super comfortable. Like there are, there are days where I'm like, do I want to just trade the Cayman in and get an S5 or an S4? Because, you know, the power is a little bit better, but you know, it's, it's more spacious and this and that. I'm like, but I really like driving the Cayman. Absolutely. Like every time I had a think that thought, I'm like, ah, yeah, but I'd be giving up a lot to to gain for some people to gain a lot because my car is very small inside. Yes, you know where you gain a lot of room with a four door or even like the S5 coupe, you gain a lot of room because the two plus two. Yeah, it's just about give and take. Yeah, I don't know for you if going from the Cayman to uh, an S5, it doesn't seem like that drastic of a jump. I would say if you were looking for more room and comfort, you'd probably want to go to like a SQ5, you know, get get more room, get something where, you know, you can have four people in it comfortably and, I don't know, have the cargo space. Um, I say it all the time, though, if they, and I, I don't know why they don't, because the R&D is basically done, but as, as soon as they bring the S4 wagon to the States, that'd be a, a lot to consider for me, because it's a wagon, and I love wagons, and... I like the seats in the S car um, and the power is good and it'd be great and usable for the three of us. I, you know, my wife and the dog yeah. and I, so there'd be a lot there for me to have to consider as, as weighing it up, you know, although maybe if they wait long enough, I'll pay the Cayman off and then I can buy the S5, S4 wagon. There you go. There we go. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely keep the Cayman as the fun car, as the car you want to get, mm -hmm. take through the canyons and have a good time. Um, Unfortunately, Americans don't buy wagons. I mean, if more people bought the all-road and even the A6 all-road, it's, it's a gorgeous wagon. It has a great engine and it's comfortable, but at the price point, it's just hard. It's a hard pill to swallow for most people. Um, but yeah. then on the opposite end of that, you have the RS6, and we can't keep them on the showroom floor. Like, people are buying the them the thing. second they drop. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, they sell a decent amount of... I mean, they don't sell a lot of S6s, but they do sell... Of, you know they're here and they have the rs6 wagon yeah which like you said you know they they sell them faster than they can make them yeah. or choose to make them and they have the a4 all-road 
you know, and just like the A6 all road, the, the crash testing has been done, the federalization and everything's been done. It's just a matter of do they want to sell that car? Yeah. I don't know if the if the price point would matter at that point. I mean, to some extent it would because like, you know, it wouldn't be cheap. It would be a $75,000 car. Yeah. But the RS6 is selling. Maybe it's just because it's an RS model that it, that it can do that. Maybe that's why it, it can do that. Yeah, it demands that premium. And, and don't get me wrong, you pay you pay for what you get. I mean, that, that car has, it's a fast car. I mean, it's fun. <laughs> it sounds good. It looks amazing. Like, it's a showstopper. But yeah, at $150,000, and maybe that's what it is. Maybe they just need to start selling these cars for more money because more money brings a, a different type of appeal to it. Um, but you're right. The crash test has been done. Crash testing has been done on the A6 and the wagon form. I just don't know what they would, would they make an S6 wagon? Would they, would they do it as like a 2.9 wagon? Kind of make it unique in a way. Um, because I'm pretty sure over in Europe they have the S4 wagon that has the 2.9, correct? Well, you can get the RS4 wagon. RS4 yeah. wagon, okay, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we know it fits in there, and I'm a big fan of the odd engines. Like, I, I, obviously, as you know, I'm a big fan of the 2.7. Um, I think the 2.9 is it's such a cool engine, and obviously being um, Porsche derived, uh, you know, it's unique. It's something that kind of reminds me of like the old school Audis where, uh, you know, the Audi S1 had that Porsche influence to have them kind of making cars or making cars and sharing parts again is always, uh, it's always intriguing to me. I like that. I'm going to hold out hope that they bring the S4 wagon here eventually, but we'll see. I don't see it happening right now. It seems like they're more, uh, they're geared more towards the electric vehicles. And then of course the SUVs. And I think they're going to be killing off the, the A6. Will that see another another internal combustion engine or are they going to go into a hybrid? I think the next one's going to be a hybrid car. Or they had a, a, the A6 electric yeah. um, concept last month. It wouldn't surprise me if they, they'll either go two ways with it. It's going to be electric only for the A6 moving forward and it moves to the, the battery platform that may be a smaller version of the J1 that is under the e-tron GT and the, the Taycan. Mm or they keep it with that as an option and keep it on the MLB Evo platform like the Q8 is. Correct. And then they can give it, you know, maybe a plug-in option like they do with the A7 and A6 already. I don't know. Because while they said that they're going to stop research and development on gas engines, that doesn't mean they're going to stop making them. Okay. New platforms may start to go towards electric, but I think it's going to be a slow transition. Yeah, because I know... Was it Audi already? They, they haven't been designing any new internal combustion engines. Like we haven't seen anything right. in a concept car or anything towards the future that would lead us to believe that they're designing engines still, which is, it's a sin in my opinion, because Audi and Volkswagen and Porsche have created some of the most amazing engines of all time. But with them now hopefully joining F1 um, in 2026, hopefully there'll be something there to keep it uh, interesting, I guess. So they definitely are joining F1. They signed... Uh, the contract like a week or two ago. Now, is that contract to supply engines? That is yet to be determined. Okay, so that's because, where that's where everyone's wondering what's going to happen, right? Yeah, like they're definitely going to become like an engine builder for the twenty six regulations when they change. Um, what they'd like to do to kind of get their feet wet is buy into a team and be by twenty twenty six become then a works team. Okay, 
where they they design and build the chassis and the engine. Um, I've heard rumors that they want to buy the Sauber team, which is currently under the Alfa Romeo name, um, but they're those are Ferrari engines with an Alfa Romeo. It's just a branding exercise. Okay. Um, but I've heard that they're trying to buy Sauber, and that whatever they decide has to be done by the end of the year, whether it's to be an engine supplier only or you know become a works team. But I've also heard the last couple of days that apparently Porsche is now officially out, which huh. is surprising for me because originally that was the one that was coming in to be hand in hand with Red Bull as the engine maker. Okay. And then Audi was the kind of the wishy-washy one, but it seems like the story's flipped in the last couple of weeks. So so we we will most likely gain Audi, but we're going to lose Porsche. Yeah, I don't, I don't see Audi joining f1 as just a, an engine supplier i think they're gonna go all in I, I hope they go all in i think with the amount of investment they're putting in or that they need to put in to be competitive and meet their goals i don't think they can do it like in halfway they got to do it all yeah yeah and it'd be nice to see them back into some serious racing well we should get going okay um I appreciate your time, Jason. Uh, it's always good talking to you. We could talk for hours. <laughs> um, I know that happened the last time we we saw each other in person that we just kept talking. So thanks for your time again. And hope all goes well with you in the Phoenix area. Yeah. Yeah. My pleasure. You too, Isaac. Thank you, sir. Thanks again for joining me. You can reach me by email at windingroadspodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at windingroadspodcast. Stay in touch. You can always ask me a question, recommend a guest, or just tell me what's on your mind. I look forward to hearing from you. Your feedback is also always appreciated, and I would love it if you could rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app of choice. Until next time, enjoy the drive.